there's a woman that is just as much of a gangster as any of the men. In fact, She's probably even more so. She is a badass mofo. Welcome to this part two episode of Talk Murder to Me. We are covering Bonnie and Clyde. So in the first episode, we talked a little bit about the robberies and how his firearms were superior to all the police officers that were trying to take him down. I mean, it was literally a losing battle for them because they had these small caliber pistols and Clyde had these sawed-off shotguns, and more importantly, he had something called a Browning automatic rifle. Now, I've shot in a lot of weapons in my life, but I decided to contact our friend, Talcos Primo Allen, because he is a firearms expert. He grew up around firearms, so he can tell us everything about the Browning automatic rifle, or the BAR, that is important to the story. Clyde fell in love with the Browning automatic rifle, which most people refer to as the BAR. BARs from Browning were used in the world in the First World War, and before that, after the war, though, they were actually referred to as uh, Colt monitors. As Colt got the licensing from Browning after the war, so the Browning automatic rifle that Clyde Barrow used was a Colt monitor going to come in a little bit later on here. What made the BAR superior to all other firearms of the time? And it really wasn't anything to do with anything in particular about the firearm that made it superior. It was simply the fact that it was a big stinking machine gun that shot a big stinking round. And most of the police officers, they used pistols or shotguns. And so having a light machine gun, which is what a BAR is, is a heck of an advantage. You can think back to the bank robbery in California, shoot, 15, 20 years ago or something, where the police officers only had pistols and shotguns, and the bank robbers had fully automatic light machine guns. I think they were using 249 saws or M16s or some AK-47s, I think it might have been what it was. But the police were essentially helpless in that moment until they went and got some firearms from a gun dealer outside of that area and then brought him in and then they could actually deal with the guys. So how did he get his hands on a BAR? From what I read, the police officers did not even have this powerful of a weapon. Mm -hmm. But Clyde, as his two-year crime spree continued to evolve, he started breaking into armories of oh. National Guard units, and I think I, you would think that they like it would be super hard to break into the Army National or the National Guard. No, no, are, no? <laughs> no, not the National Guard. Maybe, the, maybe I the mean, Army. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was in both. Oh, I was in National Guard when I first got in. I, I just uh, feel like it's just. I'm just saying. I would imagine they had a lot of times had night watchmen there too. You know? But, yeah. I mean, if you go in with five guys and there's maybe two watchmen, you can easily take them hostage and get all the guns and then, you know, haul ass. About Clyde constantly breaking into National Guard armories, there's actually two reasons for this. They were available to the general public, 
But same as with today when it comes to machine guns, they're really expensive, especially during the Great Depression. Um, I think it's like something like three, four hundred dollars for one of them. Wow. And that's all the way back then. So you can see that, that, that was time, a whoa. lot of money to just be outright buying. So stealing them was obviously the way to go. They also had black market stuff they could do to get their hands on them. But a side note that I made sure to mark down in my notes was that one of the other reasons he broke into the National Guard armories was for armor-piercing rounds. That was a big thing that he he liked using, um, and that was really one of the only ways to get them. Bonnie and Clyde have, literally Bonnie and Clyde, they're known by the media, but they're still just murderers and gangsters. They haven't reached Bonnie and Clyde status. But Bonnie has been riding with Clyde for months now, Mm -hmm. and she occasionally sees her name in the paper and at first, it's like, oh, there's this unknown woman, and maybe she's being held hostage. She didn't like that. She wanted to be the star. I was ah. just gonna ask. I was just gonna ask what her role has been because the past two murders, she wasn't there. At first, her role was nothing, just taking care of Clyde because she's not gonna go in and ro- hold up a service station like two men can. Mm-hmm. You know, she can't rob a bank until she does make herself yeah. useful. Yeah, Clyde teaches her how to do this stuff. So romantic. Instead of going to the batting cages and showing how to, yeah, you know, swing at a pitch, she's showing her, here's how you shoot a gun, darling. I'm sure people do that today, though, too. Like, we have rifle ranges and... Yeah, we do. But, so. you know, we don't use live targets for the most oh, part. Yeah, no. Do that. no. Okay, Hopefully let's... Not. I'll show you how to wrap a liquor store let's go let me talk about the time when bonnie and clyde actually made their name it wasn't in a good way but you see all these pictures of bonnie and clyde well how does these newspapers get in these pictures they're not sending them in okay or are they here's what happened she's taking selfies (laughs) with love bonnie (laughs) all right you're looking at joplin missouri they're actually taking a vacation from crime hmm. at this point. Now, Buck and his wife, Blanche, is with them. Is this a TripAdvisor spot? Yeah. Oh, my oh God. My it's Bonnie and Clyde's garage apartment. <laughs> wow, it actually looks surprisingly nice. Yeah. So you have W.D. Jones, which was part of their gang, a younger guy. And you have Buck, so Clyde's brother and mm-hmm. his step-sister-in-law what is it sister-in-law sister-in-law blanche and then you have clyde and bonnie okay so that's the couple that you always see that's with them yeah okay yeah yeah that's his brother older brother okay wife blanche okay they go to joplin missouri okay they're in missouri now and they decide to rent this apartment right here i'll put the picture on talkmer.com is this the same joplin that had that horrific tornado yes Mm. oh wow yes very good also, did they use different names to register? Yes, they did. That's a good point, Jen. On April 1st, Buck and Blanche, using the pseudonym of Callahan, rented an apartment near the intersection of 34th Street on Oak Ridge Drive in Joplin. The exact odd address was 3347 34th Street. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm going to, when I get my own house, if I ever get my own house, I'm going to I'm going to make my address like so obscure like like you're going to build your own road for this house as well or Yeah, why not? Oh, okay. Why can't you just uh, like so 
So as long as you notify the mailman, why can't you just change the number on your house? This is a legitimate question. I don't know. I mean, I can't change the number on my house. Well, no, because you have an HOA. Because it's not set by you, Jen. Who's it set by? The government. That's so, so the mail can not, they don't have to get confused by your one weird house number. Well, can't I just, like, email the government and be like, this is my new address, thanks, like, when you're doing yeah, your... Yeah, and you will get no mail ever again. <laughs> Why? If the mailman is driving and he's like, oh, there's 16 and three quarters. I don't think it works like that, Jen. <laughs> Why? I Why? It should. Why I mean, I, think, I live wherever I want? I think it's, a, it's one thing if you're, like, building the street, and but I, you have to, like, file what you're naming the street. You know what I mean? And then, sure, if you want to assign a number to it. All right. That's 42 and a half. I feel like all I would have to do is just register my address, though. No. That's dumb. Small kitchen, two bedrooms, a small living room, and a bathroom. So it's pretty nice. They had the garages downstairs because they didn't go out and buy cars. Obviously, they they have stolen cars. And the, the guy that they rented it from, the apartment kind of knew something was suspicious because only a gangster would back in the garage, you know. So they can get have an easy getaway. Exactly. That's like people who back into parking spaces nowadays, like, please try to park straight. Like, don't be a douchebag. I know. It just takes so much time to back into a space. Yeah. Like, I've, I, I can't tell you the last time I've done it. I'll pull through. Yes. But totally. why? Why you got to take the time to back into the space? It's always people that drive big trucks. Like, yeah, because they know that they're going to have a hard time backing out. Look, look what I can do. April 13th, 1933. Oh, getting closer. The Joplin police decided to raid the apartment. Now, they rented this apartment in Joplin as a vacation to get away from all this for a little bit. Now, the Joplin police were suspicious. They didn't know anything about the Barrow Gang. They literally thought they were bootleggers. You know, all the way they back their car in and pay with everything with loose change and all this stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's very suspicious. Well, could you, just for our audience and definitely not for me, define what a bootlegger is? (laughs) (laughs) Asking for a friend. It's, you know, during the Prohibition, it was the bootlegger, the the guys that sold whiskey. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they would get whiskey in and sell it. Because when I hear bootlegger, I think of, like, people selling movies. They, they, <laughs> what? No, movies, when they film them yeah, in the theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, like, burn yeah. CDs and stuff. So they thought, this, they thought this gang was just selling CDs and uh, <laughs> DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> iPods that fell off a truck. <laughs> Tickets. Yeah. They assembled a five-man squad, which was not even nearly enough. No. Because they, they had no idea who they were getting involved with. Now, the highway patrolman in charge of the situation eventually had an idea that it may be the Barrow Gang, but he wasn't 100% sure. Anyway, the police had an armored car, which was good for them. The armored car was going to block the exit so they can't make an escape. And we'll see how that works out. <laughs> it was... About nine in the morning when the cops drive their cars up, Harry McGinnis, one of the police officers, hopped out and fired three shots through the garage glass window. W.D. 
was struck in the side by one of those shots. Clyde fired back with a shotgun and hit McGinnis, Patrolman McGinnis, right square in the face, on his left side and in his right arm, Mm. which almost severed from his entire body. So his, his arm literally almost came off. Yikes. He dropped in the driveway. One of the other police got out of the car, shot a few times, picked up McGinnis's revolver, Ducked around the side of the garage. The whole gang knew they had to get out, but they didn't know how many cops were out there. They didn't know if they were surrounded or not. But they did see McGinnis's body that was blocking the path. So Clyde and Buck actually opened the garage door, and it wasn't an automatic thing back then. They had to do it by hand. In midst of all this firing going on, everyone's firing back and forth. They're opening the garage door. They actually drag McGinnis's body out of the way mm. so they can get their car out. Everyone gets in. Blanche gets in. Bonnie gets in. WD gets in. And one shot actually came in, hit Clyde in the chest. Huh. But it struck in a the button of his shirt. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and it mm. was a small caliber pistol. So it wasn't anything big. You know, all, it did penetrate the skin, but it wasn't, you know, fatal. Now, I do want to say, in the middle of the fight, Blanche had a dog named Snowball. It was like a little pip squeak. Like one of the, I was thinking like a little white, like... Beep, beep, like, beep, a, beep, like a Maltese-type dog? Yeah. Or like a little West Pomeranian? Yeah. Now, the dog... Oh, yeah, Pomeranian. Snowball, the dog, runs out into the street. Oh, no, no! I'm not going to... But... Uh. No. So no, one, no one knows what happened to Snowball. He may have lived a healthy, happy life. He didn't get Until he shot. died at a normal age. <laughs> he just ran off. He's like, fuck this shit. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm out. Oh, what was that terrible movie we were watching? I mean, the movie itself wasn't like the worst movie we've ever seen. But when they let the dog go, the Netflix movie. Oh, Silence. Oh, man. Oh, and then we were watching the I Am Legend movie where the dog dies there, too. I just don't like it when the dogs die. Mm-hmm. I'm not very okay. Sad. Okay, so they were able to shoot at the armor car and you know they have a bar so the bullets go through hit the driver's leg then clyde rams the driver in the armor car enough to get out now this is during all the bullets and confusion everyone's in clyde's getaway car and he basically as you see the garage right here the car was right in front of the garage he goes around and escapes and they can't catch up with him obviously because he's in the fastest car on the market like always, you know, his Ford hmm. Flathead V8. And that's how that went. Now, at the end of the day, he was charged with another two murders. There's two more police officers dead. Two cops had died during that event that was like just a, not a mishap, but it didn't need to happen. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now the fun starts because at this point, the news media is still covering... Clyde and and now they know Bonnie's name. They're not famous. They're getting famous, kind of like us. Like we're getting <laughs> famous, but they're not really famous yet. But after this incident, because once the, the cops showed up unannounced, it's not like they had time to grab any of their shit. They left everything, including a camera, one of those little Polaroid cameras, the first mm-hmm. ones made with undeveloped film in it. And the film is the all the famous photos you ever see of Bonnie Clyde. That is where it comes from. This is when Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde become Bonnie and Clyde because the press 
they gets can, a hold they of these photos them. and they go absolutely nuts. Number one, the gangsters are, they have real faces. They're human. And right. of course, number two, there's a woman that is just as much of a gangster as any of the men. In fact, She's probably even more so. She is a badass mofo. And, th- and these pictures I'm showing you now is what made them famous. And this incident in Joplin, if it wasn't for this incident, these pictures would have never been out. These are the first pictures that the press saw. They saw these two gangsters, not only... They, they're going around killing people and living a life of crime, but then they see these photos, they're smiling and having fun and acting all playful. It's just the craziest thing. They're play acting, and she's got a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Women don't carry shotguns in the 30s. They don't, you know, this doesn't happen. Right. And she's play acting. Oh, yeah, you can see she's shortened the barrel on that. Yeah. So she carried this sawed-off Moto 11. One of our Tacos Primos and gun expert, Alan, will explain that. As far as Bonnie's Remington Model 11, the question was uh, the purpose of sawing off a shotgun. Really, the only reason that you saw off the barrel of a shotgun is to shorten it for maneuverability, but it also helps to increase the timeliness of which the shot will actually start to spread. Um, with a longer barrel, it keeps the mm. shot pattern in a tighter um, pattern for the longer distance. When you saw a barrel short, it allows that spread to you know open up at a quicker rate. So it makes it a more effective close-range type of a weapon, but the downside of that is it decreases your effective range. So you're not going to hit anything real far away because your shot pattern essentially opened up and just dissipated. It can still be effective, you know, 50, 100 feet or something like that, but That's the real main reason why people do that. Number one, Bonnie has a cigar in her mouth. (laughs) Okay. Women didn't smoke cigars back then. Mm -hmm. Now, after this, after these pictures were published, she became more active in the media. She was trying to tell reporters that she didn't smoke cigars because she thought that, you know, she didn't like herself looking like that. Mm. When this photo of Bonnie Parker appeared in the newspaper and magazines around the country, the Barrow Gang immediately became a national sensation. The cigar dangling from Bonnie's mouth caused even more frenzied comment than the pistol in her hand. In 1933, decent American women discreetly puffed cigarettes and never inhaled. After the photo appeared, Bonnie tried in vain to convince the public that she did not smoke cigars. But she has a pistol on her hip. She's leaning up against the car. I mean, this is something no one's ever Very seen before. Very seductive pose. Yeah, so she well. added the sex into the gangster, too. Oh, look at his car. Yeah. He's got the two guns in the car. Yeah. Now, the other one's leaned up against. It's yeah. funny because these pictures, the ones from Joplin, are different from the future pictures that they would take together. And one fact, in these pictures, the license plates are showing... And the other pictures I'm going to show you later, there's always Clyde's jacket over the license plate Mm. because the cops started tracking the license plates and they could track their movements. Mm. And and Clyde actually learned that on the road. So it was like a, a romance, you know. I mean, it was crime and it was sexy. It was like romantic as fuck. Wasn't it? Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. I don't know, I guess. <laughs> Look at this picture. I mean, wow. if you're a woman, Aww, that's cute. if you're a girl you're reading the newspaper and you see that, you're going to be like, "Man, she is so lucky." 
you know, even though they're on the run. Most people in this time period are struggling to survive, barely eating. And these guys, yeah, they're barely eating, too, but they're traveling all over the United States. They're doing fun, adventurous stuff, you know. Isn't it crazy? It is. Like, I mean, how would you not fall in love with this couple? And the fact that they didn't even want these photos out. But these photos, once Joplin happened, once Joplin happened, these photos, the newspapers went buck wild with them. And America fell in love with this couple. They fell in love with this crime couple. I'm telling you, it's just amazing. Now, right after the Joplin incident, they get famous. But things start going downhill really fast. This is more the the decline and fall of Bonnie Parker and Clyde mm-hmm. Barrow. Mm-hmm. And it all started on the night of June 10th, 1933. Okay, they were in the country. Clyde was driving his usual 70 miles an hour. It was pitch black. He couldn't see what was coming up on the road. Bonnie was sat right in the front seat with him. WD was in the back and... He didn't see it, but he raced right past a detour sign. Seconds later, the road ended. Clyde Barrow's car with Bonnie and WD in it, they go flying off this, like, ravine. Like, the car is airborne. I thought that happened because I was like, I thought they drove off a cliff. The car flips several times, and the author says in this book that many accounts claim that the V8 burst into flames, causing Bonnie's terrible leg injuries. But that didn't actually happen. What happened is the battery in the car started leaking acid, and Bonnie was stuck in the V8. Oh, no. And it literally burned her leg almost completely off. W.D. Jones says, quote, The hide on her right leg was gone from her hip down to the ankle. I could see the bone at places. (gasps) Now, you're you're fugitives on the run. You're running out of money. To get money, you have to hold up places. Now you got Bonnie. She's probably, she may die because this injury is so bad. They can't just be like, go to the doctor, right. you know. You, you got to suck it up. So now, you remember how I told you, if you want to find Clyde Barrow, you, you follow the the trail of stolen cars. Now you can actually follow the trail of stolen cars and the trail of used bandages left behind. Because many of the farmers recovered a lot of these bandages Nasty. and would turn them into the police and be like, Clyde's, his She's gang's here. been through yeah. here. Yeah. And so her leg was so bad, they didn't think she was going to survive at one point. She ended up surviving. And in that, like the Highwaymen, the Netflix series, mm-hmm. you see her limping and that's because... The couple now have another unique thing in common. They both limp. The whole time after, they're run. They're still running, driving hundreds of miles a day, but Bonnie's in intense pain. They're going over dirt roads and everything else. They're having trouble finding the burn salve to put on Bonnie's leg. And then they risk stopping for bandages and hydrogen peroxide and stuff like that because the locals would turn them in. So now they're actually... Going downhill, plus it's only Clyde and WD, and WB's, WD is about to leave the gang for good. What happened to his brother and Blanche? Um, they just kind of like hop on and off? Yeah, they, they hop on and off. Oh, a lot of people hop on and off. It's so weird. It's like, how do they communicate? Like, yo, I'm yeah. picking you up here. You know? Okay. If I were them, I would have started to rob convenience stores or pharmacies. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like they must have had to. 
because of her leg. Yeah. Like, I feel like they just can't, don't have the luxury of waltzing into any store. Well, yeah. At one point, they did get in another debacle with some police, and Buck was with them at the time, Buck and Blanche. And I'm going to read this. Using the interior door in the right-hand cabin that opened directly into the garage, Bonnie hobbled into the V8, Clyde and WD climbed in. But Buck and Blanche had to leave their cabin through the front door to get to the car. And as they slammed the door open and began running to the garage, a bullet from Baxter's machine gun struck Buck in the left temple and exited out of his forehead, Mm -hmm. taking away part of his skull and exposing his brain. He dropped between the cabin door and the car. So now they're carrying Bonnie and Buck has got a hole in his head. He's not dead. He's not dead. He's not dead. He's still breathing. But they have to pour hydrogen peroxide in the hole in his skull constantly, Mm. you know, to stop the infections. How did he not die? Yeah, he lost part of his skull. Well, he, he eventually died, obviously. And Blanche... Like shortly thereafter yeah. as a result of that wound? No. And Blanche, who was in the car at the time, turned her face to the right. And that was the side where most of the posse were standing and firing. One of their bullets struck the car's back window. It exploded, though her body protected her mortally wounded husband. Glass splinters drove straight into both of Blanche's eyes. She screamed, I can't see. But Clyde had to concentrate on getting them out of there and keep going around a sharp corner and turn off into the night this is when they were stopped at red crown tavern so they actually rented out both of the cabins which was very suspicious and they rented it out for three people even though they would buy five dinners Mm. because this was after bonnie was hurt so she needed to be in a cabin then the cops got wind that they were there that's when this happened so now i mean you can see they're going downhill they literally are about out of options here. So did both Buck and Blanche die after this incident? No, Blanche actually lived. And, oh, that's right. I forgot yeah. you said Blanche lived. Blanche actually lived, and a lot of the information that comes from the story is was published in her memoir called Fugitives. I, I didn't oh. read, but the author has. They poured hydrogen peroxide directly into the hole in Buck's skull and then did their best to wrap his head. A pair of sunglasses helped to protect Blanche's eyes. They drove towards Des Moines, pausing occasionally to change the bandages on Buck's head and Bonnie's leg, tossing the soiled ones onto the side of the road and not realizing that they were leaving a clear trail for pursuers. All day, other motorists reported finding used bandages to police. These Iowa lawmen knew about the shootout the night before. Platte City Police had issued regional bulletins, so they were already on the lookout for the Barrow Gang, with an injured Bonnie Parker and now at least one other member badly hurt and bleeding hard. Yeah. Did she get, was she blind after? Yes. Well, she was blind in one eye and she was lost almost all of her vision in the other eye. This photo I'm showing you is right when they caught Blanche and but if you see Blanche is wearing sunglasses, she's also looks like a skeleton. She's so skinny. Yeah. They weren't eating at the time at all. Mm. Blanche was at this picture. She was 85 pounds. Mm. Oh, my word. Yeah, she was tiny. Now, her husband has a hole in his head. He just got caught. And the reason this photo you're looking at is so iconic is because the person, the news person that took the photo raised up the camera and Blanche, not being able to see straight, thought it was some sort of rifle 
our shotgun and that all these cops around were going to execute her right on the spot. Mm, wow. So he raises his camera up and she screams right as he takes this iconic photo of her screaming. Wow. So she was terrified. She was about to get executed right mm. there. And you can see how many people were around. There's a lot of people around. I urge you to go to Netflix and watch The Highwaymen because this is where this story breaks off for the capture of Bonnie and Clyde. Frank Hammer, H-A-M-E-R, was the most famous Texas Ranger, and he was basically contracted to go track Bonnie and Clyde because now they're responsible for 12 murders. Someone has to bring them down, and the local cops, they can't do it, apparently. Mm -hmm. In fact... The local sheriff in Dallas got a lot of shit. In one paper in particular, the headline reads, Sheriff evades Clyde. Like, you know, the sheriff barely gets away from Clyde, kind of like oh making fun of him. Yeah, hmm. so everyone... That is embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, it's very embarrassing. No one could catch these people at all. And the fact is they kept coming back to West Dallas to their family. They hmm. would always come back. To see their family. Frank Hammer, he knew he was going to be in Louisiana. And there is a reenactment. Unfortunately, the actual murder wasn't filmed. But a day later, a reenactment to show the public of what happened. They set up an ambush on this road that they knew they were coming down. And as soon as they heard that Ford V8, because that was one of the telltale signs, Clyde always drove that Ford V8. And you can hear that over any other car. They were coming down the road. And as soon as they got to a certain point, now it took three days of sitting out there in the bush before anyone came down the damn road. Oh, <laughs> but when worth he it, apparently, yeah. But yeah. when he finally came down the road, they they lit him up. It looks like the car, fellas. That's him for sure. I'll guarantee you. Get ready now. He's reaching for it. Let him have it. Look down. <laughs> and they had a bunch of people. Yeah, there were six of them in total, yeah. And they all had BARs, man. Frank Hammer, he wasn't... Like, he was contracted to bring them dead or alive, but basically that means he was going to bring them dead. And they shot them... Yeah, there is no way to bring them alive, really. This was 9 in the morning, and as soon as they started shooting, the bodies were just bouncing off the inside of the interior. Boom, boom, boom. Each body was shot more than 25 times. Wow. Yeah, one of them, uh, one of the police went around, opened the door. Bonnie fell out into his arms she still had a pulse but when he pushed her back in there she was she was dead so you see they're just shooting the hell out of the car the ford v8 rolls to a stop and then it kind of goes in the ditch and that's where they are now and that's the actual car right there that's the that's the car here is clyde barrow and bonnie parker who died as they lived by the gun bonnie is seen leaning against clyde Clyde was a master gunman. Seldom did anyone ever live when Clyde got the first shot. Now they take the car and in the local town of Louisiana, they drive the car or they pull the car through the town so everyone can see the celebrities they, that everyone's been raving about. They can see what they really look like. I think it was yeah. kind of a oh, you want to worship these celebrities, guys? Well, here they are right here kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of sick. It, and it was also a testament, like, don't don't screw with the law, you know? Bonnie and Clyde never got to fire a shot. They had their rifles and shotguns right there. 
They never got to fire a shot. This is nine in the morning. They died with each other. And one of the romantic things, if you will, when all the shooting had ceased, Bonnie, her body was slumped over on Clyde. So it was like they were together at last, even in death. And Bonnie's mother had tried to convince her for many years not to go this route because the entire family knew, both families knew that this was going to happen. Right. You know? Yeah, there's no other way that this can exactly. end. Exactly. But Bonnie was so loyal, she knew she was going to die, but she wanted it to be with Clyde because she knew Clyde was going to die. Hmm. So it was like romantic too, you know? Yeah. Frank Hammer, he wasn't paid a lot of money to come back and do this. It was like $180 a month. But one of the incentives for him to do this was any possession of Bonnie and Clyde, including all the weapons, he can have, you know, and selling those things to the press and collectors and even to this day was exorbitant. People would pay an exorbitant amount. he did take a lot of that stuff? Yeah, he took all of it and sold it to whoever. Damn, he made bricks. Yeah, he made a lot of money selling all this stuff. But anyway, that's my story on Bonnie and Clyde. You know, I had a lot of fun researching this story. And go watch Highway Men on Netflix. Also, be sure to subscribe because every Thursday we are doing an episode exclusively for our community. We call them Talco Specials. They could be hometown murders or just whatever murder they're interested in. So if you have a story for me to do and you want me to research it and dedicate it to you, go to talkmurder.com slash join. Become a Talco Supremo, part of our community. Get some swag. Get a nice-ass T-shirt. Get shouted out all over the place and get your story done for you by me. And I put in a lot of research in these stories. I'm not just going to half-ass it for you. I'm going to give you details that you were like, damn, how did I not know that before? I research these things very thoroughly and I will research it for you. So go to talkmurder.com slash join, become a Talco Supremo, support the little guys, support us, the podcasters. We're not CNN, CBS, ABC, any of this shit. We are just three people, all with three different jobs. We decide to use a little free time we have to bring you guys an awesome podcast known as Talk Murder to Me. Subscribe, share, tell your friends. We love you. And most importantly, keep it gangsta.